Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 292. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And I am very excited to share with you our final interview of 2020. This is our final interview of what has been by far the most tumultuous, challenging, and uncertain year of probably any of our lives, but certainly mine. And certainly as a career development expert and a business owner, It has just been a challenging, hot mess of a year. So if you are listening to this episode feeling like, ugh, I am really ready to turn the page, this is the episode for you. Because today I'm sitting down with Olivia Saad to talk all about how to leave a toxic workplace behind. It's a very 2020 topic because I just think there's so much toxicity about this year. I am ready to leave toxic 2020 behind. But specifically, like how do we take action as activists in our workplace to either change or leave a workplace culture that's no longer serving us and that's truly toxic. And this is also something I should add that I help a lot of job seekers with through our Hired Job Search Accelerator. So if getting a new job is on the top priority list for you for 2021, definitely check out Hired at bossedup.org slash get hired. Between myself and our incredible team of Bossed Up Job Search coaches, We have the tools, the community, the accountability structure to help you make some serious boss moves in the direction of your next dream job. So check it out at bossedup.org slash get hired. To tell you a little bit about my fantastic and delightful guest today, Olivia Saad is a career expert, but she prefers career party planner because that's just the energy she brings to this subject matter. She's on a mission to give ambitious women modern, actionable advice to create their soul-on-fire kind of careers. She got her start working in her college career services office, where she was trained on the entire job search and internship search process, and for three years worked one-on-one with hundreds of students to guide them through the process of finding and succeeding at great work. And she fell in love with that work there. She also realized that the typical, historical, dusty old rules of professionalism were, frankly, created by white, straight, cis, older men a long time ago. And that we shouldn't settle for those rules anymore. The rules have changed. So she founded her company and her website, Stomp the Pavement, which we'll talk more about, to show women that chasing their career goals, demanding their worth can and should be fun. She also knows firsthand how important it is to get out of a toxic workplace that is no longer serving you. So Olivia, I am so excited to chat with you about this all today. Welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. 
I'm excited to chat with you because I know you've got a lot of great expertise around the job search and career development overall. And when it comes to identifying a toxic workplace and advocating to change it, right, from within. So first, before we jump in, there's so much I want to ask you about. How did you come to become a career expert? So I was always one of those kids who never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And then when I got into college, I started undeclared, but my school called us exploratory, I think just to make us feel better. (laughs) So the whole time I was bouncing around majors and not knowing what I wanted to do, I was also working in my school's Office of Career Services as a peer career advisor. And I was trained by all these experts on the whole job and internship search process. And then I worked for my pretty much my whole time in college, guiding hundreds of students Mm. through the whole process. So I really got this firsthand look at what problems young professionals are facing right now. And my first full-time job out of college turned out to be a really toxic, horrible environment. Mm. And in talking to my friends about their first jobs out of college and their struggles with finding a job right out of college, I realized how valuable the knowledge was that I gained in career services and how behind a lot of the systems and standards that we have around getting a job and succeeding at work are because so much of it is based on these really old ideas of what a career looks like that Mm. just isn't true anymore. Oh, can you give me an example? Because I totally agree with you. Yeah. So I feel like people are always saying like, oh, well, I asked my uncle for career advice and he told me to go knock on the door of these companies or print out my resume and mail it to them. Or we don't take into account things like gig workers and freelancers as much, especially if you look at healthcare coverage and stuff like that. It only covers full-time employees. So we haven't kept up with the new way a career looks. Totally. And there's so much self-advocacy involved there, right? Yeah. And I feel like the reason there's so much need for self-advocacy is because a lot of these systems haven't caught up with what Mm. a modern career looks like or what a modern job is. Amen. I feel I can see the activism in you. (laughs) I can hear it in you. (laughs) It's so funny. I tell this story somewhat often on the podcast, but 10 years ago now, when I was just starting to research what would become Bossed Up, the organization and the community, I went to a, I think it was like an open hearing or presentation on Capitol Hill in Congress, because I lived in D.C. at the time, about the women's economic agenda for the future. This was back when we were preparing for a Hillary Rodham Clinton presidency (laughs) and trying to figure out, okay, what should we as women and feminists be advocating for? And everything that they were talking about were very important issues like paid family leave, et cetera, but they were all talking about it within the context of a W-2 employee. So I raised my hand and said, what about contract employees? You know, my generation, the millennial generation, has more contractors and gig workers. This was actually before gig worker was a term. But I said, we have a lot of contract employees that's becoming more common. How does this plan account for that? And the answer was, it doesn't because there aren't that many of you. (laughs) 
And I was oh like, my God. this was like the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that was saying that to me back in 2013. I was like, oh, oh man, we are in trouble. So yeah. it sounds like you've really imbued your work as a career expert with activism as a part of it. Is that right? Yes, especially because companies are using those loopholes around gig workers and independent contractors to take advantage of people, especially right. people with marginalized identities. So when we don't think about them because we think there's not enough of them or whatever, yeah. we're allowing companies to get away with mm -hmm. abusing people and taking advantage of them, especially if you look at what's going on with Uber and Lyft in California could really be happening all over the country in terms of the mm. laws protecting Uber and Lyft drivers and giving them those workplace protections a lot of other places have. Totally. I could talk to you all day about the difference between a contractor and an, a full-time employee, but it's been something as a business owner I've really taken to heart in terms of how I grow Bossed Up. So I, I admire that about your approach. Okay, let's pick it up back where you were telling us about this toxic workplace you were in. What happened from there? Oh my gosh. So I ended up quitting after about nine months because it was just... Mm. I kind of evaluated and I took stock and I was like, this is sort of a hopeless situation in terms of me as an individual changing it. Cause I looked around and I could tell I was also in Memphis, Tennessee at the time because mm. I graduated from my tiny liberal college in upstate New York and decided to move to Memphis <laughs> on a whim. So oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a whole different world to begin with. But um, once I quit that job, I kind of realized how much, I learned about how a toxic workplace functions and how it is able to take advantage of people and kind of change people's mindsets mm. and make people kind of ignorant to the fact that they're even being taken advantage of. Yeah. So once I got that perspective, I started realizing it in other stories my friends were telling me. And that's what kind of helped me realize how big of a problem it was, especially for young professionals mm. and people who just graduated. Totally. So I'd love to learn more about, for folks who currently feel like, oof, I really am not happy in my job right now. How do you tell if it's because you're in a toxic workplace or because, you know, it's just not the right job for me? I wonder, like, what is the difference between and how might you identify systemic workplace issues versus this is really more about me and my skill sets not being a match here and I got to find something better for me? Yeah, totally. So I think part of it is that internal part of just knowing yourself and knowing I loved the past jobs where I was doing this or I loved getting my degree in this work and now I'm not liking it in practice. And then the other part is talking to your coworkers mm. and people you trust and finding out if they're having the same experience. Because if it's everybody in your department or, you know, everybody next to you or everybody on your team who's having the same issue, that points to a broader problem with your workplace and not just something one person is experiencing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've done this or if you've done like a 
but like a postmortem of your experience at that job. But I was a Forbes contributor for a while. I had a leadership column and I wrote an article. I think it's called like how to identify the signs of a toxic workplace. And I went bullet point by bullet point sharing my experience (laughs) in a workplace that was completely toxic. You know, and really illustrated here are the systemic ways. Here's like how many other colleagues of mine were commiserating about the systemic ways in which we felt invisible or made powerless or whatever. And I found out years later, Olivia, when one of my (laughs) former colleagues came to a bossed up training, she was like, you know, the entire office read that article, right? And that like my old boss like read it and circulated it and discussed it. With the team, and I'm like, that's so funny to me because I do not care at this point, like, what this person thinks of me. But also, it's kind of like a call out, right? You're, like, saying here's all the ways in which everyone recognized that they felt invisible and powerless. And and I'll link to that article for those who want to check it out in the show notes. But I remember one day after kind of recognizing everyone was feeling this way – And there was like a secret G-chat back-channeling happening throughout the day every day. I, with another colleague in conjunction with a a fellow contributor at at that workplace, I went to one of the partners. I went to the partner who felt a little more amenable to feedback. And we sat down Mm -hmm. and we said, here are our grievances. Here are our concerns. Here's how I believe it's affecting the overall culture of this place in a negative way, in a way that impacts us all. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, this is not my job. Go to go to your other partner who was like the main problem, I would say. And I was like, aren't you a partner as well, though? Like, don't you have some responsibility to hear us out? And I'm happy to bring this to your other partner. But like, let's have this conversation at least together. And he was like, nope, not interested. And I quit shortly thereafter. <laughs> Yeah. And it's one of those things when you first decide you and a couple coworkers, if you all agree there's a problem, it's kind of like one of those choose your own adventure books where you can make a short term plan, but a lot of it depends on how your supervisor reacts. Because, you know, if your supervisor had ended up reacting or the partner had ended up reacting, you know, oh my gosh, that's awful. Let's talk more about it. Let's do this. Let's do this it would have been totally different for everyone involved. So I think a big part of it is talking to your coworkers about their experiences, Mm -hmm. figuring out the recurring themes, and then basing your next steps off of how everyone else is reacting. Right. And that can feel very scary to do, can't it? Yes. Yes. It's definitely scary. I mean, how do you proceed without authority. Because that's the thing. People say to me, I have no power because I have no authority. It's not my job to talk to my colleagues about their experience. So I can't. And I'm like, that's not true. (laughs) Right? Like, just because it's not in your job description. I mean, how do you proceed in that way? So a big part of it, I think, is that the system is designed to make employees feel powerless, when in reality, there is a lot of power in numbers. You as an individual employee can only do so much, but the more coworkers that you talk to and the more experiences you hear and the more people you get on the side of, we really need to make this change, then the more power you do have. Because, you know, there's only so many people in leadership, but what really makes a company run are mm. the employees. So right. you 
employees, when they band together, they do have the power to stop things and bring things to a halt and use their voices. Okay, I am hearing the union labor activist in you, which I adore. <laughs> why Why aren't unions on the tongue of all career development folks? I feel like it doesn't even come into play for so many workers today. What, what's happened there? Yes, I totally agree. I feel like we have this idea that unions are for trade workers and electricians and right. all these industries that don't really concern people who work on their computers kind of thing, like mm -hmm. SEO experts and marketers and that kind of thing. They don't need unions. And these are jobs, by the way, Olivia, that didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. I was just laughing with <laughs> some of my more seasoned digital marketing friends on Facebook recently posted their original title when they first got into <laughs> the field. And one of them said, oh, I was a new media director. And I'm like, yep, I joined when they called it New Media too, And then someone else yeah. below them posted, well, how about this? I was the head of internet <laughs> for my company oh my for a while. So like these are, <laughs> of course, there weren't a history of strong labor unions applied to these fields that didn't even exist 10, 20 years ago. Right. And then we're kind of not ever taught these things apply now. And right. these issues are still happening. And this is how people solved it in the past. And we can still use that right now to solve our issues. Mm. So I think that misconception about unions really helps toxic workplaces thrive. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to admit unions historically have been far from perfect. Right. Definitely not yeah. the only solution. Yeah. Just like socialism is imperfect in its execution, but has some things we can learn from. You know what I mean? So right. as a proud capitalist myself, I get it. You know what I mean? I get where labor unions can be helpful in the absence of them for so many of us who don't have, I don't know, if we're not nurses or tradespeople, mm -hmm. if labor unions are pretty much non-existent in your field – how do you push for a more inclusive, equitable, or fair workplace? Well, one thing that's important to understand is that legally, even if you're not in a union, if employees are speaking out against unfair working practices or unfair policies, then that speech is still protected. So you mm. don't have to be in a union to have your activism protected. It just kind of helps group people mm. together and like centralize the voice of the workers, but it's not necessary to strike or to right. make change or to speak out or to still form a group of employees. We had a great episode with Paula Brantner about kind of like overviewing the EEOC and how your right to get together and discuss the, the conditions of your workplace with your colleagues is protected from retaliation, yeah. right? So they yeah. can't legally say, oh, you want to start talking with everyone about how bad this place is? Well, you're off the big project or you're demoted or your pay is docked or you're not getting invited to the team retreat now. That behavior then opens the company up to a lawsuit, basically, right? Right. Yes. I think one thing that's really important for people to remember, too, is that you're not bringing activism to your workplace because 
you hate the company and you want to disparage them and you want them to fail. You're bringing activism because you're voicing that you hold them to a higher standard right. than what they're meeting and you want them to be successful, but they're not meeting the standards they need to meet for their employees in order to get that success. In fact, I, I would just double down on what you're saying by saying you wouldn't voice your concerns if you didn't care about the company. You'd be like, whatever, right. not my problem. I'm not going to be here long, right? So there is something exactly. very engaged in activism in the workplace that I wish more leaders would recognize as like sign of a truly bought-in person who wants to make this place great. Yes, I totally agree. It really is a sign of a committed employee. And I think you could kind of say the same thing about activism as a sign of patriotism yeah. because you're saying – this country is not meeting my expectations and I hold it to a higher standard. And right. because I believe in it, I want it to be better. And that's the same thing at a workplace. I believe in this workplace and the people I work with. And so I want it to be better for us. Mm. That's interesting. I love that. Yeah. It's like, it's almost an expression of hope, right? Like, yes, you wouldn't act out, you wouldn't activate, you wouldn't be an activist if you didn't believe in the potential for this place or this company or this country to be better. Exactly. And that's why it's important when you're having conversations with your coworkers about bringing activism in your workplace or what issues you're facing or how you're going to address those issues, it's important to remain hopeful. Because even though it's a serious situation, if you don't gather this sense of hope within your group of employees people aren't going to be committed and they are just going to quit and leave and try to find other jobs instead of staying totally. committed to the cause. Right. And actually, I want to ask you about that part because mm -hmm. let's say you do sit down in your partner's office and you'd bring your grievances up, you know, just <laughs> hypothetically. And let's say you, after those conversations and multiple failed attempts at dialogue creation, you decide, okay, my theory of change, my underlying assumption that if I speak out, things can and might change is no longer something I really can believe in. So it's now my option to stay or go, right? Because we always have that choice, even though it feels like economically, the choice to leave a place that is imperative to covering your basic necessities via the paycheck that yields you doesn't feel like much of an empowered choice at all. Right. How do you how do you weigh that option? You know, when is leaving a toxic workplace the right thing to do? And and how can you begin to really weigh the choice that you have there and, and, and choose to leave? Yeah, I think there are a lot of factors that go into it. But I think one of the first two things to look at would be your own mental health and where your coworkers stand. So when I mm. took that toxic job right after college, my mental health was a few months in, in the gutter. Like I was yeah. hopeless. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I felt terrible every day. I was not in a good place. And at the same time, whenever I tried to just gently bring issues up with my coworkers, mm. I could tell none of them were really on board with me. And I never went straight to like, don't you think we perpetuate injustice here? Because, you know, <laughs> that's not a good strategy. <laughs> but I would try to lightly bring up, how do you feel about how this happened? Or do you agree with this? And I could just tell that none of them 
were interested in making change or really felt as strongly as I did. So at that point, I weighed my own mental health Mm. and the fact that no one else seemed to be on board with making the change. And that's how I knew that I needed to leave because there wasn't really much for me to fight for. Totally. I did um, another episode with a psychotherapist, Lena Derhali, about how to survive a a toxic workplace mentally because those symptoms can be like PTSD level stress and trauma even after you leave. Yes. I love that you channeled your experience into starting your own career services company, Stomp the Pavement, to help other women in particular really get out of toxic workplaces and find a career that feels like them, right? A creative, fulfilling, exciting career path. Yes. So I want to hear how you help people through that process. But first, how did the name Stomp the Pavement come to be? I'm curious. So there's a couple things. Like when I was walking to class or on my commute to work or anything like that, I would be playing music really loud and I would just like (laughs) get this really confident walk where I would kind of stomp my feet harder and be like, yeah, I'm going to work or I'm going to this really hard advanced class and I am super kick-ass and (laughs) I'm awesome. And it just kind of always made me feel better to be like, yeah, I'm walking confidently and I'm awesome. It's so funny because hip hop was a big part of my journey. Bossed up as a hip hop term, like straight out of Black culture, which is full of insights for anyone who wants to know how to rise up in the face of injustice. And when I was kind of coming up in my own revolution pre-launching Bossed Up, I had the same swagger going. I would like walk onto the volleyball courts in Virginia where I would take the Metro out for some pickup volleyball games when I lived in D.C. And this teammate of mine would be like, Emily, do you know how you walk when you walk in here? (laughs) You've got swagger. (laughs) And I'm like, that is the sign of a woman who has retaken control over her life and is ready to like bring it, you know? I so relate to you on that. (laughs) Exactly. And then I also was thinking about my first experience like at a major protest when I went to the Women's March in DC and thinking about, you know, that kind of stomping of pavement and, you know, a collective of people walking on pavement to fight and against something and voice. So I thought it kind of worked on both levels. (laughs) I love it. You call yourself a career party planner. Tell me more about your approach to helping people get through the creative and inspired journey that is the job search. Yeah. So I, I started thinking about how all these rules of professionalism that were taught weren't created to include people Mm. in getting a job, but they were created to exclude certain people and make it easier for other people to get a job. So when students would come in to, to work with me in career services, they'd be like, I put this off for forever and I really hate this. And I don't like thinking about resumes and Mm. I don't like writing cover letters and me as a writer would be like, but they're a chance to tell your story. What do you mean? (laughs) So I, I really wanted to create a site that embodied this idea of pushing past what we're taught about professionalism being boring or stuffy and this masculine Mm -hmm. Times New Roman 12 point font kind of (laughs) view of what professionalism is. And So I wanted to just kind of do something that almost felt like the opposite to show people it can be more fun and expressive Mm. than you think it is. And networking doesn't just have to be 
Mm. old dudes in ballrooms. It could be these really (laughs) exciting conversations and connections. And, you know, cover letters are storytelling, not just your resume and sentences. It's so obvious from the minute you land on stompthepavement.com that you believe career development can be fun. And I have to say the candy fanatic in me is particularly <laughs> amused by how much of a role candy plays in your your brand, which I also see eye to eye with you on that. One takeaway, I've got one last question for you. For job seekers who are listening to this final episode of Bossed Up the Podcast in 2020, a year that has been a reckoning in so many ways, who are saying, okay, Olivia, I hear you. I'm ready. It is toxic. It no longer deserves me. What is their first next step? So it's making that decision of leaving or staying and fighting. And if you're going to stay and fight, it's talking to your coworkers and learning about their experiences. And if it's leaving, I think a big part of it is reflecting on the whole experience. Because Mm. if you leave just thinking, I'm going to go get a better job, and then you just start applying for things and you take the next one, there's a chance you're going to get stuck back into that toxic workplace. Mm. Whereas if you leave and you start reflecting and you say, well, were there warning signs from the beginning that maybe I missed? Or Mm. what were signs like during the onboarding process that things were maybe a little bit off? Mm. Or how can I improve my networking strategy and the connections that I make so I can make sure that I have an insider at my next company who I trust, who's telling me that this is a good place to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very much sounding like what my therapist told me back in the day about dating advice, (laughs) because I had a habitual attraction, it seems, to nothing but toxic people for a while there. And she was like, listen, you can't change who you're attracted to, but you can pay closer attention to those red flags at the start, you know, and and like... (laughs) Get out quick so that it's not two years of your life before you're like, okay, I can't do this. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Olivia Saad, where can our listeners here at Bossed Up learn more about you and your great work? So they can check out stompthepavement.com to see more of the fun party vibe I like to take to career planning. And I have a free guide on how to start networking with confidence that I hope makes networking seem a lot more fun and approachable Mm. than, like I said, old dudes in ballrooms. (laughs) And then they can also follow me on Instagram at Stomp the Pavement, where I'm also trying to post fun and modern career advice that still has this focus on taking action and fixing the conditions that are keeping young professionals from reaching our highest career success that we could. For more details and all of today's related show notes, including all those articles that Olivia and I talked about, head to bossedup.org slash episode 292. That's bossedup.org slash episode 292. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week, our final boss move of 2020. This one comes in from Allie in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook, which has been called by multiple people multiple times the best place on Facebook. Here's what Allie posted recently to share her boss move. She wrote, hey, bosses, I've been putting myself out there these past few weeks doing informational interviews, which Olivia Saad would applaud you for, by the way. Allie goes on to say, 
cleaning up my LinkedIn and polishing my resume. So I've been putting myself out there doing informational interviews, cleaning up my LinkedIn and polishing my resume. Today, I had a call with a recruiter for the exact type of job I'm looking for. When he asked what salary I was looking for, I threw out a number that I thought was pretty big. And he told me that the job typically starts another 10K higher than what I said. (laughs) I was bamboozled. FYI, this is why we like to ask recruiters before we tell them what our salary expectations are, but that's okay, Allie. She goes on to say, I'm hoping it's a good culture fit as well, but I'm leaving that call with some seriously renewed confidence in my skills. Even if this job isn't a perfect fit, now I know I've got the background to one, get the job I want, and two, ask for an even higher salary. Hell yeah, Allie. Way to turn this into an information gathering learning experience. It's something we all can learn from, and it's a good reminder that we often underestimate our value, especially as women who, if we just talk to other women about what salary expectations we should have, we're going to get a biased response because women are still earning less almost across every industry. So this is a total boss move as it relates to getting real-time, real-world, real economic insight from a recruiter. Well done, Allie, and may it send you off into the rest of your job search season of life here with renewed confidence in earning all you are worth. Kudos. Alrighty, y'all, we are just days away from the new year now, and I need your help, okay? We've recorded almost 300 episodes bossed up, and I don't know what the hell you want to learn next, so I need your help coming up with some next topics, some next interviews, some next conversations that we can have here at Bossed Up to help serve you. The best way to really be our producers and be our co-creators of this show is to call in your career conundrums or your boss moves of the week via the Bossed Up hotline. You can also email us or send us a voice memo if you're international and can't call this number. But I love hearing your voice, y'all, so call it in when you can. Here's the number to call to share your career conundrum so I can create a show just for you. The number is 910-668-2677. We'll never answer that number. It's just a voicemail box set up with Google Voice. But if you call it in, leave me a voicemail. We will listen to you and create shows just for you so we can keep serving you and your goals in the year ahead. I want to thank you all so much for supporting this podcast, for listening, for sharing, for rating and reviewing an Apple podcast to help other people hear about it. You have made this year not only worthwhile because it has been a challenge, but you've helped remind me each and every day why I do the work that I do at Bossed Up and how we as a team can continue to show up for you because you are really showing up for yourself and for us and for the community each and every day. So Let's carry that motto forward from the nation's first black women's club stated back in 1896 that says, lift as we climb. Let's keep bossing. Let's keep lifting as we climb. And let's keep hope alive in the year ahead as we activate not only ourselves and our communities and our workplaces to be better, but each other to be better in the year ahead. I cannot wait to continue on forward on this journey with you. Thank you so very much for listening. 